0: As we come now before the Word of God, I see Bibles opening already. If you've brought a Bible from home, or if you'd like to use one in the pew, we'll be this morning in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. We have, I think, just one more sermon in Genesis uh, before we end our long time through, uh, through the early chapters of this book. But before we read here, would you please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. As we come now before this word that stands forever, would you speak to us of eternal things things that are much larger than ourselves. Lord, by these words, would you humble us? Would you, would you glorify yourself? By your Spirit, would you help us to listen, to believe, to turn our eyes and hearts to you now? and Guide us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis in chapter 11. We have quite a number of verses to take up today. Uh, we'll begin in verse 10 and then carry to the end of the chapter. So Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered ark two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered ark 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When ark had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arkbashad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber, and Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When a bear had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And a bear lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor, and Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah, and Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is the word of God. And I barely had enough lung power to do it. Uh, this is not the first time, if you've been with us, that we've had a long-extended genealogy like this in Genesis. In fact, this is the third extended genealogy in, in Genesis. These genealogies occupy a lot of space in the early pages in the, of the Bible. It's that the author has placed a fair amount of emphasis on seeing the passing from generation to generation. Now, seeing these lists, all these names, most of whom we probably don't even recognize, seeing this leads me to wonder something, and I'll ask us this. If we were to compile a list, different from this, if we were to compile a list, of what we consider to be the ten most significant people in the Bible. Who would make that list? Think about it. If you were to put together the ten most significant people in the Bible, according to you, who would you put on that list? The beginning of the list is easy. Easy. Certainly, there's only one that can be at the very top. That's Jesus. Jesus is truly, always, fully, eternally God. And, ever since his incarnation to earth, he is also truly, fully man. Jesus is the most significant man who has ever lived. Jesus is the spotless sacrifice and the sinless savior. He's the one to whom all belong, belongs all glory and majesty and dominion forever and ever. He's the promised prophet, priest and king. He's the one who died and was made into a curse, taking on himself the wrath of God against sin. But then by his resurrection rose again as a blessing bringing the life of God to all who believe and follow him. Jesus himself even said that the whole span of scripture, from the beginning to the end, all of it is pointing to him. So the the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not just about Jesus. It is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. And there is no one else in history who can even compare to the significance of Jesus. Jesus has to be at the top of our list. But if we go way down the page, leave a lot of white space there, down at the bottom, who might be the remaining nine? Who else might we put on this list of significant people? Maybe Adam? First guy seems to, you know, maybe... King David, man after god 's own heart, maybe the Apostle Paul, who wrote huge swaths of the New Testament, maybe maybe Moses, who gets the most mentions in the New Testament of anyone in the old there's you know there 's no clear answer to this list there 's a lot of room for debate after jesus there 's a lot of room there, but it, but if we all sat down and really had time to think about it and brought our own list, I, I, I guess there 's probably Uh, at least one, probably uh, many other names, but at least one name that most of us are going to have on, on our list, and that's the name Abraham. The man who here is just called Abram. And that's because Abraham marks, if I can call it this, marks a new era in covenant history of the Bible. The Bible makes a very clear division between the time that comes before Abraham and the time that comes after Abraham. That division is even very clearly evident in Genesis. Genesis scholars often group the first 11 chapters together. These first 11 chapters are typically called primeval history, that is ancient or early history. But from Genesis 12 on, they often call that the patriarchal history. And Abraham is the first, the beginning of these patriarchs. That carries on through the rest of the Bible, so when we open up the New Testament, the very first words in in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, there's the beginning of this long-record genealogy, like we've seen here, tracking the history of Christ. Christ is called the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham. But the person who writes this, Matthew, doesn't go any further beyond Abraham. It just stops at Abraham as if Abraham's a sort of beginning. That's not because we don't know any history of what came before Abraham. Clearly, we do. It's in the text we have today. But it's because Abraham has a special appointment by God, blessing from God, to be a sort of fountainhead. He's to be the father of many nations not just biologically of the Jews, but of, but of all the people of God. All those who are of faith are called sons of Abraham. So when the Lord makes covenant promises to Abraham to bless him, that he might be a blessing, all those are then true also of the sons of Abraham. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are inheritors of these promises of God. Those are wonderful, wonderful things that we don't have time to talk about today. We'll have to unpack that another time. Today, we're not going to set our eyes on Abraham because he's not the focus here. Instead, we're going to look at someone else that we see in this text. And I want to see if you can name this person. Don't look down at your Bible. Keep it open. If you've got it open, keep it open. And don't say it out loud, but I want you to think in your mind, who is Abraham's father? I see some of you trying to look down. (laughs) Who is Abraham's father? It would be easier if I asked us the question who is Abraham's son? Or even who is Abraham's grandson? They don't appear in this text, but we recognize Isaac and Jacob. They get a lot of mentions in the Bible. God even sometimes calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They get bundled together. We see those three generations, but what about the generation that came before? Who was the father of Abraham? In the text, even, I said his name nine times. The father of Abraham is Terah. Terah. He's our focus today, and if you didn't remember his name, don't feel bad, okay? He doesn't get a whole lot of ink in the Bible. In fact, after this little scene that we've read, Terah gets named only three other times in the whole Bible. He shows up, it's just a mention, once in Joshua, once in 1 Chronicles, and once in Luke. Terah is not even one who comes to mind at all as being one who would be on our top ten most significant people in the Bible. But, listen, Terah still has a very significant place. Let me show you where he fits in. And it will help uh, you, you don't have to do this, but if you actually look at the text in your Bible with me. I'll get there in just a moment. little background. We've talked about this before, but I'll mention it again. The book of Genesis is mostly structured around one single word that shows up multiple times. That word in the Hebrew, if you care, is Toledot. I don't, you know, may not read Hebrew in our English Bible, at least in my translation, that word Toledot is translated as Generations. Or other translations may, may uh, translate it as record or account. And these Toledote generations are planted at particular places throughout the book of Genesis. And they function as signposts that tell us where we are and especially where we're going in the book. So, so far in Genesis, in the previous chapters, we've met four of these Toledote signposts. The first was in chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Then in chapter 5, we hear these are the generations of Adam. Then in chapter 6, we hear these are the generations of Noah. And then in chapter 10, we hear these are the generations of the sons of Noah. You might recognize all of those signposts. Now, in the text today, we meet two more Toledotes, two more of these signposts. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 10 is where we see the first of them. This is where we started today. It opens with the words, these are the generations of Shem, Shem is one of the three sons of Noah. And this particular signpost, this guide in Genesis, begins a linear genealogy of ten generations. And it's going to move us from the days of Shem, the days of the flood that have now ended, to somewhere else. Where does this Toledot point us? If you look at the end of this whole record of the generations, It doesn't end us specifically with Abraham, right? He's just tagged on as one of the three sons at the end. But it's moving us from Shem to who? Verse 26 to Terah. That's the first Toledot section. Then in the next verse, we see the second Toledot in the text. Look at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. And what follows here is not just a list of genealogy, of course we do get some names, but it's the beginning of a narrative telling us a few important people. We meet three Terah's three sons. One of them, Haran, dies. Another one of the sons, Nahor, marries the dead brother's daughter, which I know that sounds strange, but that's so he can carry on his brother's line in the land of Ur. But the third son, Abram, marries a woman who's barren, and they have no child. And so Terah now, the dad of these three sons, picks up his family— including the one son, Abraham, and he takes them all on a journey out of Ur of the Chaldeans, in other words, out of Babylon, into the land of Canaan. But Terah dies before he gets there. Dies before he gets to Canaan. And so then the Lord steps in and calls the one son, Abraham, to finish it to carry on to Canaan, because there the Lord is going to fulfill this new covenant promise that he'll bless him, that this man will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the signpost. That's the marker of where we are in Genesis and where this is heading. It's the mark of what will become a very long journey. This is the longest it begins, the longest out section in Genesis. It's going to carry all the way for 14 chapters into chapter 25. And even though in all of that whole section, Abraham is clearly the hub, the middle the figurehead, the fountainhead of all that the Lord is doing. It's not called these are the generations of Abraham. Abraham sits under the heading, sits under the signpost, these are the generations of Terah, his dad. Now, In recognizing this, we don't have to pretend like Terah is some big secret unsung hero of the Bible, that he was some fantastic person. We don't have to make a mountain out of a molehill in this. Scripture has told us everything we need to know about Terah, which is very little. There's only a few mentions of anything that Tara even does before he dies at the end of the chapter. Tara is not the center of all that's happening. All that we hear him do is have kids and travel. Big deal. And yet Tara does have a significant place in all of this. Tara is an indispensable link in the chain that God has prepared. Much later, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he says, Abraham is the father of us all. That is, everyone who has faith in Jesus is part of this really big family that God has built with Abraham as the father of us all. If you are a Christian... Abraham is your father. So if Abraham is the father of us all, that means that Terah is our grandpa. There's a sense in which he's the father of the father of us all. Terah, this relatively unknown, unseen, sometimes forgotten man, is our grandfather, and that's no small thing. It's fitting for us then to think about Terra as what I'll call the typewriter of Genesis. Call Terra the typewriter of Genesis. Here's what I mean by that. Has anyone actually used a typewriter? Give me a wave. Oh yeah, multiply. I thought as much live in an era before computers, right? Uh, Does anyone still use a typewriter? Very Very rarely, okay? We have a typewriter in our home. I love it. It looks cool. When you hit the keys, there's that very satisfying, like, thwap sound of the type bars when they Hit the page, you know something very visceral about that. But even though we have a typewriter in our home, we don't really use it to type. It's mainly just a decoration. Uh, the the only people that really use it are our kids, who mash on the keys until the type bars get tangled uh, together. Is that anyone remember that or know what that's like? Okay. Typewriters are are now mostly obsolete, except as something vintage or decorative to look at. Typewriters have, have been eclipsed by computers and tablets and phones. We used to type like this, but now most people type like this. Things have changed. Now, even though typewriters are no longer in common use, they changed the direction of the world. The whole trajectory of the world's changed by the existence of typewriters. They have a place in history, but they're just one link in a bigger chain. They're a link that connects the days of quill and ink to computers and whatever else might come next. And Terra is very similar to that. Terra is the typewriter of Genesis. He's not the only typewriter in Genesis. You know, in a sense, we could say basically the same thing of anyone else we have seen in this list of the generations of Shem. And there's also a sense in which we could rightly see ourselves as typewriters too. I don't mean to say that you're old. You can decide whether that's true or not. I just mean that there's a sense in which this is fitting to us. We we may not radically alter the course of the world, but you do have an imprint, an impact on the world and each one of us serves God's good purpose to his glory for just a small span of time. We all live X number of years, maybe produce thousands of of words in that time, but then eventually we become a thing of the past, a person whose only use is to really get their type bars get tangled. You know, a typewriter really matters. Typewriters truly matter. At the same time, we're reminded by them that there were many things that came before the typewriter, and there are many things that will come after. That's true of you. You matter. You do. God has made you for a particular purpose, and at the same time, there there are many who came before you, and there are many who will come after you. That's not meant to be a discouragement to us. In fact, I hope it's just the opposite. It's an encouragement to help us find our good place in God's grand plan. That we will find the place He's given us that's not too high or not too low, but just as God would have. Seeing and even surrendering to a perspective like this, that we're typewriters or links in a chain, that will help us, particularly in two areas of our life that I want to unpack, and then we'll be done. This will help us to work well and help us to rest well. Let's look at each of those. First, this perspective will help us to work well. There's a scene in John's Gospel. It's around the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where there are a bunch of people in part of the scene, who are just pouring out of this uh, small Samaritan town, and they're just gushing toward Jesus. And, and Jesus tells his disciples, as these people are all coming toward him and them, he says, lift up your eyes. Look at this harvest. The fields are ripe and ready. Bring them on in. Your work is to gather these people into eternal life that I've prepared and rejoice with them. That's your work. But before Jesus lets his disciples go to these people to harvest them, he stops to give them a reminder, which is this. John chapter 4, verse 37, he says, Here, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Do you hear what he's getting at here? In other words, these people that you see coming at you, there have been many, many, many workers who have been engaged in this harvest. There have been planters putting seeds, setting up their typewriters, and who have been at work here long before you. You don't even know their names. You don't even know who they are. They were just here before you, and now you're a beneficiary of that. You are now one link in this long harvest chain. There have been many before you. There will be many after you. There is no single person who can do all of it. So you are to do whatever work God has set before you, knowing full well that that work is going to require more than just you by yourself to finish it. That bigger perspective will help guard us from twin errors on either side of the ditches. It helps guard us from becoming a sluggard who does nothing or from becoming a workaholic who tries to do everything. Both of those things are sin against God. God has sent us all to work, to labor. But he's given some to sow, some to reap, some to plant, some to water, some to till, and that may change at various times. There's some for various purposes, but no one does it all. Do not then let yourself get discouraged when you find yourself unable to do it all. Do not let yourself give up when it feels like your work feels fruitless, or that it's just going nowhere. You know, Tara lived and died still with no idea that he would be the grandfather of us all. The work of God is far bigger than just you. It is not your place to complete every task, but it is your place to be diligent, to be faithful with what God has given you. This will help us in our work. It will also help us in our rest. There's a part of the book of Isaiah. Now pivoting to think about our rest. There's a part in the book of Isaiah that's spoken to the people during a very difficult time in their history. This is in the context where the people are suffering, struggling in exile. And while they're in exile, the Lord speaks a word of comfort over the people. And he does this by telling them to look back at their history. He specifically tells them to look at the days of their father Abraham and of their mother Sarah, by extension by the Terah and so on. And God's word of comfort to the people begins like this. This is chapter 51, verse 1. The Lord says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. In other words, you're a chip off of the old block. You're a chip of a stone that's been chiseled from this old rock of your father's, and I want you to look back at that old rock and see it. Not because the rock is great, but because that rock is small. There was just one little family... And I want you to, when you look back at the rock from which you were hewn, I want you to see that you have all come from this small stone, a pebble that's been carried along by a very great God. From this small little pebble, God has hewn grains of sand that are so numerous that they're more than all the grains of sand on all the shores of every sea. That from this walk, we're reminded of the great work of God that didn't just span a decade, not just a lifetime of one generation, not just ten generations, that God has kept a covenant of love to a thousand generations. And that that's to be a comfort to you. If you're in Jesus, you're part of that. You're one small link in this very long chain of these thousands of generations. You're one of the uncountable grains of sand in these vast banks of God's ocean that only the Lord can number. We don't need to make ourselves any bigger than we are. We can embrace our own smallness. And then let the immensity of God and the greatness of his purposes just wash over us and bring us comfort to bring us rest. We are thankful, should be thankful, for fathers that have come before, but we also know that they're just pebbles. They're just pebbles, and they're not big enough for rest. Our rest is not in our father Abraham. It's not in our grandfather Terah. Our rest is in our father in heaven. The one God and father who is over all and through all and in all. these things upon us so that we would not see ourselves as so insignificant that we would abandon the good work that you've given us nor would we see ourselves as so important that we would think of ourselves as the center of the universe we want to honor you as the God of a thousand generations who have brought us into those generations through Jesus. Would your spirit strengthen our work and enable our rest in a way that would display your greatness of an everlasting God. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.